Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Well, as we begin looking at Matthew chapter 13, it's helpful to remember that Matthew chapter 13 is the beginning of a new section in the book of Matthew. As I've, we've been working through the book of Matthew, you'll remember that um, often as we go to new sections, we'll explain uh, where this chapter or this passage fits in with the, the argument of Matthew. You remember that in terms of the way that Matthew has structured the gospel, he structured it around five uh, teaching sections, basically. There, there are five uh, sections of the gospel where Matthew get, where, where Matthew records extended teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this in chapters 5 to 7 with the Sermon on the Mount. We saw the, the second one with Christ sending out of the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And then the third one now is beginning here with Matthew chapter 13. And so as we think about then, why, why is it the case that Christ begins to speak about the parables of the kingdom now? What, 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 is this, what does it accomplish in terms of the argument that Matthew is making all throughout his book? Well, we, re- we remember that in terms of the way Matthew has structured the gospel, that chapters 1 through 4 are an introduction to the Lord Jesus Christ, where Matthew has shown that when Christ comes, when the Lord Jesus Christ is born, he really is the Christ. He's the one that was promised in the Old Testament. All the prophets are fulfilled in him. Matthew shows us this and gives us an introduction to who the Lord Jesus Christ is, showing uh, really through many proofs in his birth and early ministry that Jesus really is the Messiah prophesied in the scriptures. Then Matthew gives a summary of his teachings in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And we see at the end of that, that the people are amazed because Christ teaches not as a scribe, but as one who has authority. So then the question becomes, well, does Jesus really have this authority? Can he really give such authoritative statements about the kingdom of God? Whereas we see at the end of chapter 7, he even sets himself up as being the judge at the end. I will determine who gets to be in the kingdom of God. That's what the, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is implying at the end of Matthew chapter 7. And the answer is, well, yes, Christ does have the authority. We have in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Very many, very, very many miracles that are given in uh, three sets of three, where Matthew shows beyond a shadow of a doubt, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, his power over all of creation shows that he has authority. Every miracle is meant to show the, the great authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the teaching ministry of Christ. We have the confirmation of the ministry. Christ really does have this authority. Then in chapter 10, Christ sends out his disciples so that all can see it. They're given the power to do the same kind of miracles. So now in verses, in chapters 11 and 12, which we have been looking at over the past months, we have the response to this ministry. Now you would think if the Lord Jesus Christ is really the Messiah and with his coming, we have the kingdom of God breaking into, in, in, into, the, into the earth. And if this is the case that, that even further, that the Jews themselves were looking for this. They were looking for the kingdom of God to come. They were looking for a Messiah. They actually believed that it would come at about this time. Now, there, were, there were many people who claimed to be the Christ around this time. And so we have all of this. You would have expected then there to be a wide embrace of the gospel that was preached. If someone can do all these miracles and is speaking about the, the beginning of the kingdom of God, even showing definitively that he is that king and that with his coming, the kingdom of God has come, you would expect there to be widespread belief. But actually, in chapters 11 and 12, Matthew records, far to the contrary, those who even believe doubt. John the Baptist doubts. His mother doubts. 
And in general, everyone doesn't believe. That's the, in general, the people do not believe. He condemns the, 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 the generation for not believing. He condemns various cities for not believing. He shows that the Pharisees do not believe in chapter 12. And so then at the end of chapter 12, you're left with this question. Well, if Jesus really is the Messiah, and if he really has brought in the kingdom of God, how is it the case that nobody is receiving him? What are we to think about the kingdom of God? How are we to, to understand this widespread rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's into that situation that the Lord Jesus Christ gives these parables that explain the nature of the kingdom of God to show that even though there is such widespread rejection of the king, that this actually is a part of the purposes of God. And though it's the case now, the kingdom of God has still yet come. That all of this unbelief does not negate the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is really the Messiah and that in his coming, we have the beginning of the kingdom of God. That's really the weight of these parables. It, it really explains that particular situation. And so when we think about then these particular parables, as we get into chapter 13, and we're going to get go through all the parables in the coming weeks, we, we, we think about uh, the way that this purpose is related to the, the meaning of the various parables that are given. So we think about this one, the parable of the sower teaches that there will be different responses to the kingdom of God. We can expect some never to confess their faith. We can even expect, as the Lord Jesus Christ will say, as we'll, we'll look at here, that there will be some who will profess their faith and then will fall away. That is the nature of the kingdom of God. It will always be the nature of the kingdom of God. And so when we see people disregard the gospel, when we see people appear to, to confess faith and then fall away, that is actually to be expected. The Lord Jesus Christ has told us beforehand that that is actually the nature of the kingdom. Uh, when we see there are, is unbelief in the midst of the church, and we think, you know, how can it be that the, that the church could be so weak in various ways? We're to remember in the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the parable of the dragnet that uh, the kingdom of God will always be a mixture until the last day. It will remain that mixture until the judgment day when there will be a separation at the end. The separation will not happen before the end. When we see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ small and apparently struggling, we are to remember that that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which starts off small, or like leaven, which can't be seen even at the beginning of the mixing into the, uh, uh, the bread. It's very small. And yet it works through the whole lump, and the, the mustard seed itself will grow to be the largest of all the garden plants. We are to remember that the kingdom of God is not going to advance in the same way as earthly kingdoms, but it will yet advance. It's going to advance as a spiritual kingdom that grows over time whose growth is sure. We are to remember when we see so many people turning away from the kingdom of God, that for those who understand what the kingdom is, that it is in fact immensely valuable, that even though many people will disregard it, those who truly understand the kingdom of God and who labor to enter into it and who, will, who do enter into it, uh, they are those who understand that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field or like a pearl of great price for which we'll give up any, everything for. Uh, these are the parables that the Lord Jesus Christ gives, which help you to see that in a world very much like our own, where the Lord Jesus Christ is disregarded by so many, where there is such great opposition to the gospel, and you can think, you know, is it really the case that the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne? The answer is yes. Unbelief serves his purposes. 
The kingdom of God is always advancing. It's always been advancing in ways that are small and appear to be imperceptible to those on the outside, uh, that appear to be insignificant to unbelievers, and yet it truly is advancing. And all of those who have a share in this kingdom recognize that even in its weakness, it is worth giving, giving up everything in life for. This is what the parables that are given in Matthew chapter 13 show us. And particularly then, then today, we have in the very first parable, which is, is quite an important parable. It's the, 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 the longest one in terms of its, the giving of it and then the interpretation. Uh, there are actually only two parables where there is an interpretation that's given. And the interpretation here is set apart from the other ones, which means that this is really to be the, in some sense, the key to all the other parables is given in this, uh, which is the parable of the sower. And the idea here is that uh, when we think about the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, we must recognize that there will always be differing responses. Some will reject it outright. Some will initially embrace it and fall away. But it is only those who embrace it, who bear its fruit, enduring to the end. Those are the ones who will be saved, who are the true members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, are, who truly are citizens of the kingdom, who truly have a share in this king, in, in the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a share in the glory of this kingdom. Now, we'll look then uh, at this text. We'll, we'll, we'll basically just look at it in terms of the, the parable of the soils as it's given, and then we'll look at its interpretation. So we'll just look at this, and this just falls out. Verses 1 to 9 is the parable as it's given, and then we have the, the interpretation given in verses 18 to 23. And the point of this is to say there will be many different kinds of people that have different responses to the gospel, but it's those who bear fruit and persevere to the end who will be saved. Uh, that's the point. And the point of giving this parable in its form now is to say not only does it explain to you how you are to view the kingdom of God today, but also to ask yourself, which soil are you? There's four soils. Which one are you? Which, which type of response do you have to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And may it be that God would open our eyes and see and give us ears to hear, as the Lord Jesus Christ says, that we might all be uh, the good soil and bear fruit to him. Now, we'll look then at the, the giving of the parable in uh, verses 1 to 9. You know, sometimes as we think about the parables of the kingdom, it is easy to forget or to look past how shocking these parables would have been. And we'll, we'll look at this more uh, next week with regard to the reason why these parables are given in this way. Because even, even the way that Jesus gives the parables teaches us something about the kingdom of God and even about his sovereignty, as we'll see uh, next week. But really, this would have been shocking. So just, just imagine if, if you were to, to, to be here. So you are uh, you are one who is, uh, you're not one of the 12 disciples, but you're, you're wanting to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people are, are talking about him. You've heard of all his miracles. You think, you know, it would have been, it'll be great to see the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, you gather with the crowds and the Lord Jesus Christ has no space. So he gets out onto this boat and he says this parable. So he says, there is a farmer. He goes out to sow. There's no introduction given about what this is about. You're not even told here that it's about the kingdom of God. Uh, there are other parables where that happens, but here it's just a farmer goes out to sow. He goes out to sow some seed. Some falls on the ground. Birds come and eat it. Some falls on rocky, falls in rocky places. It grows up and then the sun scorches it. Some falls in the midst of thorns. It grows up and is choked. 
Other seed falls into good soil and it grows into, uh, it produces fruit, 160, 30 fold. That's all that said. Then the Lord Jesus Christ says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then that's it. That's it. That's all he says. The next verse is what happens with the disciples in private, no longer in the public context. So in, in terms of this teaching, this very first parable that's given, Jesus says those words. A farmer goes out to sow. He describes different, different results of terms of farming and then says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then that's it. That's, he just leaves it there. This would have been shocking to hear. And without question, there would have been some there who would have said, what kind of person is this? This person claims to be the Messiah, or at least everyone thinks he's the Messiah. And yet, look, he, he just says some things that, we, that don't make any sense. Surely this is at least part of the reason why there were those in that day who did think that he was crazy. You think of, there's actually records of this in John uh, 7 and 9 and John chapter 10 as well. There are differing responses to the Lord Jesus Christ where you know, people will say, look, you're, you're crazy if you think these things. That's, that's what many of the people thought. And um, they were con they were, everyone was confused by the message. Now, it's important to note here, um, even the disciples are confused by the message. They have no idea what he's talking about. They, they do not understand what he's saying. That's the reason why they come to him privately and they ask him for the interpretation. They don't know what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, it just he says at the end and leaves it, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So just it's important to remember as we think about these parables, the shocking nature of them, which is part of the purpose. So again, as we'll see next week, there is a theological reason why Christ speaks to the people in parables. It actually reveals something of his own glory and the glory of the gospel. But as you think about then the shocking nature of it, and then the way the Lord Jesus Christ says at the end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does it mean to have ears to hear? What does it mean to have ears to hear? Now, clearly what it does not mean is it does not mean that you can hear the, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and you immediately understand everything that he's saying. Uh, we'll see uh, with regard to the disciples, Christ says, you have ears to hear. You're able to hear it, but they don't understand either. The disciples do not understand and yet they have ears to hear. So what's the difference between the disciples who hear it, it with their ears, do not understand, and the crowds who hear it with their ears and do not understand, and yet one of them has ears to hear and the other one does not? And the answer to this question is basically the disposition of your heart as you receive the word of God. When you hear something that sounds strange, that sounds foreign to you, and you think, you know, I just don't understand what, what the Bible is saying here. I don't understand what Jesus is saying here. Is your response to scoff, to laugh it off, and to say, well, this just means he's crazy? Or is your response to say, Lord, what, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by these words? That's the only difference between the disciples and the crowds. The crowds in their unbelief, they hear the words, they're confused, they scoff. The disciples hear the words, are also confused. And they say, Lord, please explain to us what it means. What it really means to have ears to hear is to hear the word of God and to be humble in your reception of it. And, and as we'll, we'll get into more about the reason why Christ speaks in parables, but at least it's something is clear even, for, even from here. Uh, one of the reasons why Christ speaks in parables is because this shows the differing dispositions of the heart of various people. Christ speaks in such a way that only the humble will be able to receive it. 
No one gets it. The humble will ask him. Those who are arrogant will simply scoff at it. And in this way, the world becomes divided by faith. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here. And so, brothers and sisters, think about this then as you think about all the parables, everything in the Word of God, what is required for you to benefit? The answer is to receive the Word of God with a humble disposition. So think about this with regard to the way in which you hear sermons. This would be the, the, the primary way that this would be applied to your life today. How is it that you hear sermons? When you hear things that are different from what you think, do you think, oh, this preacher is just crazy. He just, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I can just, you know, I can disregard that. I know better on this or that thing. You know, he's not that impressive anyway. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to listen to him as a speaker. Do you try to pick apart every little thing? Uh, or are you one who says, you know, the preacher may have all these weaknesses, but this is the word of God. This is the word of God. And I desire to receive it for the sake of Christ. When it sounds strange to my ears, I will yet come humbly and submit myself to the word of God. That's the person who has ears to hear. Anything less than that is not having ears to hear. If, if you are always thinking in your mind, when you hear the preaching of the word, there's, there's this and that thing that was wrong. And, you know, everyone makes mistakes. No, no, one, no one preaches perfectly or, or gets everything right. But if, if you're always thinking, you know, there's just this and that thing that's wrong. And this person, you know, just, it doesn't sound right. And because it doesn't sound right, I won't receive it. That is the kind of person who's like the crowds will remain in their unbelief and who does not have ears to hear. The purpose of saying it in a way that's shocking is on purpose. So that there can be this division. Only those who have the ears to hear will hear. And having ears to hear means you are humble in your heart. There is a great passage in uh, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion in book four, where he, where he says that Christ has ordained the word of God to be preached by those who are no better than us, who even in some points are our obvious inferiors. You know, if, if you think about it in the, in the church, you may think like, well, you know, Pastor Grosso is this or that wrong with him or whatever else. And what Calvin says is God often does that. Christ often does that because he wants you to receive the word of God, not because of the glory of the preacher. Even if all that is completely gone, he wants to know, are you willing to receive the word of God simply because it comes from Christ? And if we strip away everything in terms of the glory of the preacher or anything else, even if you count him as your inferior, even if he really is your inferior in, in any point, what Calvin is saying is, is that Christ does this because it is a test for you. Do you have ears to hear the preaching of the word of God from an imperfect messenger because it's the word of God. If you strip away every other reason why you are to hear the word of God, is it sufficient simply that it is the word of God for you to receive it? That is what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here. Do you have ears to hear this particular word? This is what shows true devotion to Christ, that, that you are not devoted to a person, but you are in fact devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ gives publicly this very shocking parable, shocking in the sense of there's no one who can make sense of it. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, and then he leaves. Then privately we have, beginning in verse 10, the disciples who ask Jesus, 
why he's speaking to them in parables. Now, this section is divided into two parts. In verses 10 to 17, we have Christ given generally the purpose of the parables. This is what we'll, we'll discuss last, uh, next week. Next week, we'll look at the purpose of the parables. Uh, this week, though, we'll look at the second part of Christ's interaction with the disciples privately, which is the explanation of the parable of the sower. So we have here the parable that's given. It's given in the way, again, as I mentioned. And then we have the explanation which is given. It is important to note the difference in setting. Uh, there is, as I mentioned in the introduction, there, is, there are no parables to which Christ uh, gives the explanation to the crowds. He never gives the explanation to the crowds. The only ones who get the explanation are the disciples. So when we think about now the, the giving of the interpretation, it's important to keep in mind that with verse 10, there is a shift in terms of the setting. It is, it is now only, Christ is now only speaking to the disciples. And the reason is because they are the ones whom Christ has judged who have the ears to hear. They are the ones who will, will be given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven by grace. It's only by grace. We know it's only by grace because they don't understand either. Um, but, but because of the disposition of their heart, they will in fact be given the answers. And so now we have the interpretation that's given. There are four different soils that the Lord Jesus Christ describes, and these correspond to four people. We have the soil, the rock, the, the, sorry, the path, the rocky soil, the thorns, and then the good soil. So there's the path, there's the rocky area, there's thorns and thistles, and then there is the good soil. Now, there are, of, of these four, three of them will initially receive the word of God positively, but only one of them will believe in the end. So there are some who will not believe initially. There are some who will appear to believe initially and then fall away. And then there are some who will believe and endure all the way to the end. So we'll just walk through each of these in turn. So the first one is the path. Notice, notice this the, the path uh, which is uh, given particularly in, in verse 19. So the Lord Jesus Christ says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And that's, so that's the answer. So there's never any faith. And this is because of uh, the work of the devil. So those who, who hear the word of God preached but never receive it, the idea here is that this is the kind of person who never makes a profession of faith. They hear the word of God. So it's, this is not talking about unbelief in general. This is unbelief of those who are exposed to the word of God. They hear it and they never believe. They never make a profession of faith. Now notice it's important in the, in the interpretation to understand that Christ describes this unbelief as being due to the work of Satan. When the birds come and snatch up the seed, it's because of the work of Satan. And this is a great reminder to us brothers and sisters of the reality that Satan is very much at work in the world today. Uh, in our anti-supernaturalistic culture that thinks that, you know, um, the only thing that exists are the things you can see or measure in, in some way. There's a denial generally of the spiritual world. We have to remember that this is not true, that our fight is ultimately not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual forces in heaven, where Satan himself is leading people by the hand to hell as he deceives them. That's, that's actually what is happening. Satan in his deception is causing people uh, not to receive the word of God. And this is why it's so important for us to understand the, the lies, the webs of deception that Satan spins in, in each age. And these are usually variations of the same theme. There's nothing new under the sun. And yet there is usually also something 
um, a distinctive way in which it's manifest in our own day. And this is, uh, and this is what's happening today as you think about um, the world's tendency towards postmodernism. Why are there such strong delusions with regard to uh, all of these things that some of which appear to be common sense, like things like, you know, as you think about the transgender issue, that a man is a man and a woman's a woman. Why, why is it that we can't even get that right? The answer is not to be sought in genetics. It's not to be sought in, you know, this or that thing. Uh, it's that hardwired into us. It is ultimately the deception of Satan. It's the deception of Satan. That's the reason why people give into that ideology. And when they do, they turn away from the gospel. And this is the reason why it is so important. It's important to understand uh, the, 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 the thought pattern of the world today and the way in which Satan does, in fact, try to deceive people. Ultimately, there are only two paths. There is the word of God, the path by the word of God, and there is the path of lies and deceit of Satan. There's no, there's no other way. If you are not in the kingdom of God, then you are in one way or another being influenced by the lies and deceit of Satan. That's, that's the point. And so we have this, the Lord Jesus Christ describes as those who are on the path, those who hear the gospel and they think, you know, this is just crazy. It's crazy because of this thing, which is ultimately itself a lie of Satan. What, what Christ is saying is that Satan himself is snatching that person out of the kingdom and preventing there, for, uh, there, there to be any faith. And this is even the way the Lord Jesus Christ describes the work of Satan. He, 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 he says that it, he's like a strong man. Uh, he, he's a strong man who, who, who tries to, to conquer others. John in the book of Revelation will say that Christ then bound him. We, we saw the binding of Satan in Matthew chapter 12. Christ then in, uh, John in Revelation then says that Satan uh, is bound so as no longer to deceive the nations. The purpose is to say that if Satan is not bound, then what he's doing is deceiving the nations. And anything that he's able to do, even as he is bound today, is in fact the deception of the nations. And so that's the, that's the first soil. That's the first soil. What is happening when people hear the gospel and they brush it off? They're being deceived by Satan. Secondly, there are those who receive the word of God initially. And even, even notice, this is the rocky soil, the second soil. Even notice that Christ says that this kind of person receives the word with joy. He doesn't just say he receives the word, but he even emphasizes the person in the rocky soil receives the word even with joy. That's to say, even receiving the word initially with joy is not a guarantee that you are going to be one who bears fruit. That, that's not the criteria. Now, not to say that you can't know whether or not you're going to be one who will bear fruit, but it is to say that this is that initial reception with joy is not necessarily an indicator. In fact, it's not an indicator. It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee to you that you are, in fact, the good soil. Those who are along the rocky soil receive the word initially with joy. And even it says the, the, the receiving with joy if you notice in the, in, the, in the giving of the parable, the reason why the plant springs up so quickly is because it has no root. And the reason why it's destroyed is because it has no root. So actually, the, the reason for falling away is also the reason for the initial immediate reception. And so there, there is a, a situation then when there can be the reception of the word initially, but then there is a falling away when persecution arises. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ has said, that is, that everyone must take up their cross and follow him. The Apostle Paul says it's only through much suffering that we must enter into the kingdom of God. Suffering is a reality in the Christian faith. It's a reality for everybody, even for us. And the point then is that here is that when that persecution, that inevitable persecution arises and you face opposition for the sake of your faith, those who fall away show themselves 
to have never been good soil, and they will not inherit the kingdom of God on the last day. Now, this can be seen uh, in a lot of ways today. Um, there is a temptation in the world today, particularly in our country, to follow a form of Christianity that has no depth to it, where everything is surface level. Um, this is particularly seen in the, the kinds of churches where everything is about entertainment, where there's an attempt to win the, win the world using the world's methods. And the problem is, is that in this form of Christianity, there is no, a lot of times, not even an attempt to ground faith in something that has depth. And the reality is, is in this kind of, of thinking, this kind of preaching and teaching, is that this will only produce, it's like trying to breed the kind of person who will immediately receive the word with joy and then fall away. Uh, the, the, the thing that causes people to remain firm and to be truly converted is not a shallow form of Christianity, but is a deep Christianity that may even appear to grow more slowly, but yet will bear fruit and will be able to endure when things get tough. And brothers and sisters, that is the only kind of faith that's real. It's the only kind of faith that's real. If, if you have a faith that can only handle the good times, it is not true faith. That's, the, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. The true faith, the one, the one who has true faith is the one who does endure in the end. And, we, and you know, we don't need to congratulate ourselves for being, you know, in a church where, where you know, we're at least attempting to um, show the importance of the full counsel of God and all of the doctrines that have been given to us. But this can even happen in Reformed circles as well. Uh, there can be people who initially received even good theology with great joy. They're excited about it. And yet... In the end, they are unwilling to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that can happen in every place. It can, it can happen in, in this church. And this is the reason why, brothers and sisters, when you think about your relation to the world and your faith, you must be ready to suffer. You must be ready to suffer. You must be ready to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Lord demands it of you. And anything less than that is not true faith. Now, the third kind, the third kind of soil is also one where there is a profession of faith that's made, and yet there is not an enduring to the end, and therefore there is no fruit. This is the, the, the thorns as it's given. Notice in verse 22, he who, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So this is the kind of person who receives the word, who makes a profession of faith, and yet in his ambitions for riches or his ambition for self-promotion, that these things rise no higher than the earth, that the desires of the person are always fixed on earthly things. And if you have earthly things, that's all you could ever ask for. And, uh, and this is the kind of person that will, will, in the end, be choked out by the thorns and the thistles. It's not someone who is, in fact, a true believer. Notice as well, there's no indication that this person uh, falls away immediately. It's actually quite late in the, in the development where it's seen that this person's not bearing fruit. This is to say, then, that someone could make a profession of faith, endure for a, a, a significant period of time, even endure persecution, 
and yet still only be focused on things of this world and in the end never bear any fruit. Now, it's important to keep in mind further that this is not simply describing people who are rich and who seek after, who are successful at seeking after riches. Uh, people who are successful at seeking after riches are proud of what they've accomplished and they are, they will be choked out by the thorns and thistles of this world. But uh, it is possible to be quite poor and yet still be choked out by the, by these same things. Uh, this is not, not a statement to say that, you know, that it's possible to be, to be very poor, have basically nothing and not to be focused on Christ. And it's also possible to be quite wealthy and to be very content with what God's given to you, not seeking things beyond your due measure. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a sin to make money. Um, and you, you, can, you can do that in a way where you're content with what God's given you. You give thanks for everything. You're generous with the church and you're helping other people, that sort of thing. Uh, none of that would be a sin. Um, so this is not a statement about wealth per se, but rather your relationship to wealth, whether or not you have it, if you have it or if you don't. And there's a connection here between um, the kinds of sins that people have if they have it and are the kind of person Christ is describing and also the kinds of sins that manifest when you don't have it. So for instance, this is basically the connection between envy and pride. Envy and pride are, are really at root the exact same thing. The root of both envy and pride as it relates to wealth is simply that you are, you are concerned first and foremost with it and you have to have it. If you don't have it, then you're envious. If you do have it, then you're proud. But in both cases, the, the, the problem is the same, which is that you have defined your existence around material possessions. And therefore, you, you, could, you could either have it or not, but having it or not having it doesn't help you. Because if you don't have it, you're envious. And if you do have it, then you're proud and you turn away from God. And this is the description of the person who is, in, who is the thorns. Uh, if, if your first thought in, in this life is not the, the benefit and the blessing of God's name and the growth of his kingdom, but rather you are concerned first and foremost with your own things, then you are a, not a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are not a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of the earth. But brothers and sisters, uh, what Christ has come to do is to make us citizens of heaven. Um, you, you think about it with regard to if you were to, to stay at a, a person's place. They may let you use, they may say something like, you know, make yourself at home. What's mine is yours. And they may even encourage you to make use of everything that they have. But you know, those things are not yours. They're not yours. And, it's, and as much as the best, the, the best uh, hospitality in the world can never make up for the reality that there's something about being at home with your own things that is more comforting. But brothers and sisters, ask yourself, where is your home? Your home is in heaven. That's where your citizenship is. That's the place where you are to feel most at home with things. You're to be seeking to store up for yourself treasures, not on earth, but in heaven itself. And you know, you can make use of, of the things that are on this earth, you can give thanks to God for them, but, but, but ultimately, ultimately, you are to be looking to the place where moth and rust do not destroy any treasures that you store up and where you have an inheritance with God. That's where your possessions lie. Those who show in this life that the way that, the, by the way that they live, that that's where their treasure is, 
They are the ones who are truly members of the kingdom of God. Those who are not are the ones that the Lord Jesus Christ is describing here. They are choked out by the thorns and the, and the thistles. And so then, uh, these are the, the three kinds of unbelief that the Lord Jesus Christ describes. We have Satan, we have persecution, we have the cares of this world. These are all the things that produce unbelief. Some fall into unbelief immediately or never even appear to enter into belief. Some after a short time in persecution and some do not manifest until the end. In each of these cases, though there are different times when unbelief is manifested, yet the unbelief in each case will remove you from the kingdom of God. You are not members of the kingdom of God unless, un unless you are the good soil that perseveres to the end. Now, notice the good soil is the last thing that's described, and there's actually not much said about the good soil. The good soil is a person who bears good fruit. There's not much said about this person. The idea is, is that the good soil is largely defined in opposition to the others. So, so what, what's, what does good soil look like? It looks like those who truly confess their faith without being deceived by the devil. It looks like those who endure through all kinds of persecution and sufferings and trials. It looks like those who are not, not overly concerned with the cares of this world, who are not easily uh, uh, anxious about these things, but they're seeking a better country where they know that God is going to care for them. This is what true faith looks like. And this is the person that does, in fact, bear fruit. And so the point is then, is that there will be, when we think about the kingdom of God, I think about it in relation even to the previous chapters of Matthew. There will always be some who reject the message. There will be some who receive it initially but fall away. There will be some who will be choked out by wealth. And there will be some who bear fruit. And the point of the parable is to say this. Which soil are you? Which soil are you? Are you bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Not did I receive the word of God initially? Not, am I a member in good standing of the church? Am I continuing? And do I seek first the kingdom of God? Have I received the word of God with one who truly has eyes to see and ears to hear? Which soil are you? There is rejection. Uh, notice on many sides, three out of the four do not believe. But notice, three out of the four are members of the church. Three out of the four are visible members of the church. That is to say, Two of the three soils that are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ do not make it. They're not actually members of the kingdom of God on the last day. Brothers and sisters, may it be, as you think about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ here, may it be that God would grant you the grace to have eyes to see and ears to hear, to truly test yourselves, not to try to deceive yourselves into thinking you are what you're not, not to be overly frightened, if you are a true believer, but that God would grant you the grace to see what kind of soil you are. And if it is the case that you find that you are not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, may it be that God would grant you the eyes to see his glory, that you would bear fruit and so, and so receive the great blessings of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for your word. We think of the way in which your word so perfectly diagnoses our hearts, so perfectly uh, reveals to us 
who we are before you. And Lord, we can see here, this is a, one of the great and many pr proofs that your word is in fact your word, that the Bible is in fact the word of God, that it is able to pierce our hearts uh, so quickly, so easily, that it, that it can pierce even to the deepest thoughts in the recesses of our hearts. Lord, how we do pray that you would help us to receive this word well. May it be that there would be none here who would hear the word of God and scoff. There'd be none here who would, who would seek to seek out the things of this world before your kingdom. That all, Lord, would attain to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and enter in on that last day. Lord, we pray that you would do this by the work of your spirit, that you would get glory for yourself in the salvation of sinners. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, We'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats. And if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day, we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place, uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.